Hi, Brooklyn. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Katarina? Good, good. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Mike, right? Yeah, Mike. yeah. I assume Brooklyn somehow. It's the same. It's all good. Oh, okay, cool. You live in Brooklyn? Are you from Brooklyn? Yes, I am. Cool. I live in Brooklyn, too. Oh, word. Yeah. Oh, snap. What part are you in? Uh, East Williamsburg, if that, that's a new thing. I think it's a real estate name for that place. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know where you at. <laughs> yeah, I'm from old Brooklyn. I'm not there anymore, though. I'm not, I'm down south in Atlanta. Oh, okay. How is it? I think it's nice, it's, right? It is nice. Uh, hold on for a second. I'm sorry. I'm getting a call. Sure. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming. We'll start in a few minutes. We're waiting for the guest speaker, and we'll start. Our rooms always usually start on top of the hour. So, yeah, thanks for coming. It will be really interesting, and you can start checking out the website from our guest speaker um, about his research. Um, so, um, yeah, it will be, I think, a really interesting discussion with, you know, a lot of migration um, and also um, climate change, due to climate change, um, people having to find a different place to live. I think this is a really important research he's doing. And yeah, I'm really honored that he came uh, and said yes and came here to share this with us. So thank you, everyone. Hi, Joyce. How are you? Hi, Katerina. I'm good. How about you? Good, good. Thank you. Looking forward to the talk today. I think it's such an important topic right now, like in the future, so. Yeah, definitely. Looks very interesting. It's hard to imagine, but unfortunately, people have to deal with that. I'm sharing in the chat the two papers um, he has recently published on this topic he will and that he will discuss with us here today. They are open source, so you can just click on the link and um, check them out. Um, they are really interesting. And stay tuned, we'll start in a few minutes.
how's everyone surviving the heat wave? Do you have some special tricks to get through this? <laughs> well, it's funny you should ask because I don't. I just came from the room that Ben is hosting, and the topic is how to use less air conditioning. And so we've been talking all about that. <laughs> I'm in Southern California, and um, I I just adjust. I, I kind of have the philosophy of getting used to warmer temperatures, and I don't really suffer from the heat, but my body is kind of adapted to it, and it's not a big deal for me. But if I lived in San Bernardino or, you know, if I lived in the desert and I had a different sort of house and stuff, I would have to use air conditioning, of course. But, um, yeah, how, how are you doing with it? Um, yeah, hi. First of all, hi, Is it? Thank you for coming. I hope I'm saying your name right. Um, the unmute button is all the way on the right bottom. Um, there's a little okay. microphone. Yep. Can how you hear you me today? now? Yep. Yeah, I'm okay. Thank you for coming. No, we really appreciate it. Thank you. We were, while we were waiting, we have a few minutes left. We were discussing how we are coping with the heat wave right now. That's right. Yeah. So I feel like when it's dry heat, like dry, it's fine. I can cope well. Um, but when it's humidity without wind, then it's really hard. But. Yeah, yeah, um, I don't get yeah. much dry. I mean, I don't get much moist heat here, but yeah, you know, occasionally. Yeah, that's the the dry one is fine, but uh, maybe it's just because I didn't grow up with like this humidity. But um, yeah, welcome everyone. Uh, please, you can check out the website and um, that. Um, Zenwal Olumba um, shared with us here today about the research. And then I'll switch in a minute when we start to the PowerPoint presentation. And the papers that we are discussing, you can find in the chat. Uh, they are open source, so you can, just, um, you can just click on them and read the full paper. So um, yeah, we are looking forward to discussing this. And um, we'll start in, um, in around two minutes. Thank you. Good evening. Hi, Frank. How are you? I'm I'm fine. I'm I have something to eat in the background, but yeah, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, do you have still a heat wave in Germany, or is it done uh, now? Right now it's done. Right now it's done. Probably will come back next week, but not as high as it was the last two times. 
Right now it's really great. It's 24 degrees, sunshine, everything. And in a couple of days, it seems like uh, we have two days of rain. Fine, finally, I hope that uh, remains that way. That's nice. We we still have a heat wave this week in New York, but it's it's going it's getting better again. And I guess let's see if it comes back or not. I don't know. We'll oh, by by twenty four, I mean uh, Celsius, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I always think I still think in Celsius. I can't adapt to the Fahrenheit. Although people tell me it's better for like felt temperatures more granular people say in the in the range where it's like room temperature but for me it still doesn't make too much sense but yeah. so i'm uh, really looking forward to the talk here Yes, definitely. And uh, we can actually uh, start at um, top of the hour. So uh, welcome everyone to the Science Society here today. And um, a special welcome, of course, to our guest speaker um, that will present this really interesting topic. Uh, Izenwa Olumba, welcome. Thank you for coming. And before we start, let me give you thank a you little very bit. much oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you um, before we start i'll give you a short introduction so that you get to know our guest speaker a little bit um easy researches and writes about issues um, that are at the intersection of memory migration and politics he has is mostly or very much interested in how violence, culture, atrocity on people and other life in experiences influence people's emotions, collective actions, immobility or mobility aspirations and identities. He published uh, research articles in uh, leading peer-reviewed journals and he's a regular contributor to the Conversation UK and the London School of Economics blog. And he lives and studied, he lived and studied in Germany, uh, primarily at Rheinwall University of Applied Sciences in Kleve. And he is nearing the end of his PhD studies at Royal Holloway University of London. And um, yeah, I, I posted the website um, that is about this project that we will discuss here today. And um, I will switch in a second to the presentation. But before we start uh, with your presentation, we usually ask like a couple of interview questions, if that's okay with you. Yeah, that's fine. Sure. So, um, how, uh, what um, in your life, or how come you were interested in pursuing the field of science and research? Is that something you were always interested in? Maybe you 
had a specific experience or a teacher in your life that guided you towards this path? Um, is there something maybe like a, a story behind your career path or your path of in your life that, that you chose? Um, um, actually, um, uh, that's a good question, but um, I don't know how to start uh, answering it, but the short uh, aspect of it or the short story about it is that, <coughs> excuse me, I got a little bit of uh, code. The short story about it is that um, when I, I was in a secondary school, uh, I used to read a lot of John Grisham. I don't know if anyone, yeah, most people know John Grisham. So most of his uh, novels really influenced uh, the kind of work I do now. Oh, that's interesting. So we're books. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, yeah, I know the, the, the book. So yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and what led you then to um, do this specific you know, to be interested and involved in this specific project um, was there. Okay. Yep. Okay, that's fine. So uh, initially, when I started my PhD, um, uh, I was uh, my PhD was focused on eco-violence. What we call eco-violence is the conflict uh, over water and agricultural resources between headers and farmers across the Sahel of Africa. So that was the focus of my PhD, but. But in the UK, um, you need to do what they call upgrade before uh, you, you are allowed to start your PAD proper. When you start your PAD, you start with MPhil. Then when you do your upgrade, then you start your PAD proper. So when I did my upgrade, I failed my upgrade uh, because I, instead of submitting literature review, I submitted a historical chapter to the upgrade panel. So the panel said, yeah, your, your historical chapter is good, but it doesn't tell us what, how we're going, how your contribution to the literature will look like. It doesn't tell us what you're bringing, uh, the knowledge you're creating from your project. It doesn't tell us anything. So because I was misinformed, uh, uh, or not really misinformed, that was what, uh, you know, I, I was told to submit. So I, I didn't pass the upgrade. So when I didn't pass, when I failed the upgrade, they gave me only three months to come up with something better or they will offer me or they will you know, kind of grant me MPhil. So during that period, I really got crazy. I, I was reading everything on planet Earth. I was reading every, all sorts of things. Then I, come, I, then I came across uh, e-mobility, a, a research that was done by a lady called Dr. Professor Shewell. So uh, Professor, Professor Shewell's uh, paper dealt on immobility and uh, it emphasized on how immobility people neglect, scholars neglect immobility and study mainly mobility. And I go across other scholars that are saying, oh, a lot, there are a lot of people who, who the researchers, social science researchers are ignoring. So during, during this, I was able to, you know, see a, a gap that I needed to study, which has to do with uh, immobility. But while, you know, trying to, you know, create a project proposal, I, I, I was intrigued by the fact that in some communities or in some places, despite the conflict in those areas, some people do not want to 
flee or some people do not want to kind of they want to live in conflict so while while this was kind of uh, a puzzle to me then i started reading around all the, the the what the literature says about these kind of people so at the end of at the, at the, the long uh, uh the long and short story uh, is that i then got interested in knowing how people how atrocity or how conflict or how uh, trauma uh, influence people's emotions influence what people call themselves their identity influence uh, how people see themselves influence how people how people's how people's uh, behavior how people's immobility or mobility can be understood Yes, and I think, yeah, that's such an interesting and so important research because I think, the, you know, with climate change, everything in the future going on, this will be a more and more important topic. So, uh, yeah, thank you for, uh, for doing this work and for sharing it today with us. So we are looking forward to your presentation. I will switch now um, the link uh, to your um, presentation. It's a Adobe link, uh, so everyone can click on it and follow along. And people will follow along. Um, it's not a screen share, so when you switch slides, it's helpful to mention on which slides you're on. And um, attached to the slides is um, one of the papers, the papers that the title is coming from and um yeah thank you so much and uh yeah the stage is yours thank you okay thank you very much um, so we're on the first slide which has uh my name on it and also uh the topic of today's uh, talk which is cognitive immobility when you are mentally trapped in a place from the past I've got only four, five, one, two, three, four, five, five slides. So the slides, are, because uh, uh, Professor Katrina requested for slide, the, uh, slides, that was why I made these five slides. So it's not really slides, just pictures. So the, the, the second slide is, is, on, is about the introduction and uh, the introduction and background to, to the research. So um, my name is Ezemwa. I'm a student and teacher at Royal Holloway University of London. This talk is uh, meant uh, as, a, as a, a medium for communicating the research findings of one of my papers that was published uh, in la last June. The paper was uh, written uh, during the, uh, in the first, uh, through the first pandemic, you know, the, the one, the 2019 one. So uh, the restrictions which caused, a, 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 which came as a result of the, lockdowns escalated a feeling that I, I, I had been uh, having. I, I've been experiencing a sort of feeling of uh, 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 being entrapped somewhere. So while um, we were doing, during that pandemic, I resorted to journaling, right, just writing down the things that I was feeling. So at the end of the day, the paper, it, the journaling came up as a paper. It led to uh, the paper and the paper was published. The paper was published uh, by the Culture and Psychology Journal, which is a Taylor and Francis publication. The brief of the findings were later uh, 
published in the Conversation UK, and that really went viral. Uh, the paper, the, the the synopsis of that paper has been republished in several languages and in many countries. The highlight of it was uh, that I was able to develop a concept that captures the experiences of thousands of people, which I call immobility, cognitive immobility. Second slide, please. So second slide is where I'm going to explain what cognitive immobility is all about. Okay, let me, let me, okay, let me, let me start again. Uh, the, the first uh, slide is about introduction. The second slide is discussing what immobility is. The third slide is explaining the causes of immobility. And the last slide is on remedies. Uh, apologies for now, you know, doing the introduction properly this way. So um, on the second slide, we're going to discuss about what cognitive immobility is. Instead of going straight into explaining what cognitive immobility is, I want to tell a story. I interviewed an American lady recently, to be precise, on the 31st of June. The interview was, the interview commenced at 01.19 hours, which a.m., early morning my time, and it lasted for about one hour. Her name, her name is Eve, and she's a clinical psychologist. She has a master's degree in clinical psychology as well. She, she, she was in New York when I when when I did the interview with her. Where she she met she was in New York when I did the interview with her, and it was in New York that she met a man, a Senegalese man that let, she later married. So Eve uh, contacted me because of the, you know, I because of the 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 the, the publication and because of the uh, the. the the research I was able to, I tried to, I was able to interview Eve. So Eve's name should be on, Eve's name is on the, her name is Eve Mbaye. So anyone can contact her, you can check her on, she's on LinkedIn, Instagram, you can contact her to verify this. <clears throat> um, when, when we started the interview, the interview I, I had with Eve, I asked her um, when she went to Africa for the first time. I'm going to quote exactly what she told me. She said, my first time to Senegal, Senegal is in Africa. My first time in Senegal in 1998, I had a very strong reaction to being there. I'm quoting her. I literally said that I would be perfectly happy to die there. I felt so connected and I cried and longed for it weeks after returning back to the US. So she only stayed 10 days in Dakar, the capital of uh, Senegal. And when she returned to the US, when she returned to the US, she said she kept recreating, you know, the high experiences in Dakar, remembering the things she experienced or encountered in Dakar. So I asked her again, uh, um, how she felt while reliving her experiences in Dakar. She said, and I put, I felt good about the experiences, but sad that I was back in the US. So three years later, Sister Eve Mbaye relocated back to Africa and she now lives permanently in Africa. But she went to New York for a visit uh, for when I interviewed her. So also, I also asked her, what attracts you to Senegal most? Because I asked her, 
if you want to go back to the US, she said no, that she, she doesn't want to go back to the US. I, I, I then asked her, why is it that you, you're so much, uh, you know, attracted? Why is it that you're so much uh, interested in living in Senegal? She said, and I put, there are external factors such as weather, food, music, and opportunities. But I have to say that it is something internal that I, I cannot explain. These are the things that make me to be so much involved with Africa. So she said the weather, the food, music, and opportunities, and also something internal. So from this story, we can understand that Sister Eve left the U.S. to live in Africa. Um, she lived in Africa Coast and uh, other places. She left the U.S. to live in Africa because of the weather, the food, and opportunities, and also something else, which she called in, something internal in her own words. These are not mine. So it is that thing she said that is internal that we can describe as cognitive entrapment. So cognitive immobility is a sense, is a stressful sense of mental entrapment, just like Sister Eve was mentally entrapped in Senegal. It is a stressful sense of mental entrapment in one or multiple places, which results in a conscious or unconscious effort to recreate memories of people places, events, cultures, and things that someone encountered in places they lived or visited in the past. Each time I give this talk or do presentation regarding cognitive immobility, I'm asked, is cognitive immobility the same as homesickness? No. Cognitive immobility is different from homesickness. Homesickness is the longing for a place that we left from which used to be our home. There is another phenomenon that is close or related to homesickness and cognitive immobility. That's, that's what they call pesophen phenomenon. So it is a phenomenon where uh, uh, that existed among Greek wives, uh, Greek, uh, the, the Greek women that were married to American uh, US uh, husbands. They, they, need, they had this kind of uh, feeling that they should be in Greece at least six months every year to, to see their moms. If not, they will get sick. So it's, it's still longing. But cognitive immobility is different from these two phenomenon, phenomena because cognitive immobility entails mind entrapment, not merely longing for a home. It is about entrapment. Cognitive immobility is different from these two because the entrapment can happen in multiple places, which which could be where we call home on places we visited, just like Sister Eve, her entrapment was in Dakar where she, uh, you know, had a, a 10 day visit. Cognitive immobility could, could lead to anger, feeling of loss, pain, depression, and even psychosis. Third, third slide, please. What causes cognitive immobility? I still I have to give another story. I met a man called Deep Bangu. His name is on the slide. You can check him on the internet as well. I met Deep Bangu when I was doing a, a talk on cognitive immobility. During the question and answer section, he asked me a question which led to our discussion about him and 
his uh, uh, his life and stuff. So here is his short story. So according to Deep, and I quote, after the initial excitement of the first year in the US, the, up, the uprooted feeling had started to happen, but I continued and finished my graduate studies and then continued to work. It was a period of confusion and the economic factor also made things difficult. So after I started working and I had a few friends, things got better. In those years, I still could not put a finger on the issue, the issue, the feeling, the kind of feeling he was having. But then after a few years of work, I started to spend time in India and then finally moved finally decided to move back to India. So he went to the US, spent a few years, like eight years in the US, yeah. And then he relocated to India because he couldn't, he couldn't bear the kind of feeling, the feeling he was having, the longing, the entrapment that he was experiencing. He couldn't bear it, so he went back to India. The story goes, continues. Deep Bangu spent 15 years in India before relocating back to the US. When I asked him why, he relocated to the US. He, he gave a lot of reasons which relates to the environment, quality of life, uh, economic reasons, uh, and uh, so many other reasons, but he had to relocate. So again, I asked him, what's your condition? What's your state of being now? He said, I never really lost contact with India and have made regular trips back. And like I said, I have started to work on creating a sustainable community there. So it assures me a place if I decide to return back in my later years, but also a project that keeps me connected and a place to go back for, to go back to for some time of the year. So from this story, it is obvious that Mr. Deep may have left things in both countries. He still wished to go, he, he still wished to relocate to India someday, meaning that the US is not his home. Meanwhile, he left India for a home in the US. So therefore, or therefore, there is no real home for Mr. Deep because US is not a real home for him. India is no longer a real home. So I narrated this story for two reasons. The first, to explain how someone could become homeless in a mobile world. The second is to highlight the three stages of immobility, which are first stage, awareness and separation. The second stage, the retrieval, and the third stage, stabilization. So the, the first stage is the stage of uncertainty and confusion. This is the stage when someone discovers that they can't stop thinking or longing for a life experience of a place that they moved away from or they used to live in. So that was the first stage Mr. Deep was in. When he got to America, he said he got confused. He couldn't, he couldn't, he felt uprooted from, from uh, India. He couldn't, you know, cope with the kind of feelings he was having. That's the stage of awareness. The second stage, uh, the second stage is called the stage of retrieval. This is the stage where you want to claim back. You want to visit, you want to re-experience. That was the stage Sister Eve was in when she wanted to, you know, you know, recreate the scenes, the, the, the smell, the sound, the music she was talking about, the way that in her mind, 
that's the stage of retrieval. This is the worst stage one can be in when you're experiencing cognitive immobility because this is the stage where you have, you have, you have so much sadness about what you are missing, about the loss. You, you think you are you're, you 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 are a, a, a exposed to. So this is the stage. A lot of people through the, this stage, at this stage, people, people get a lot of pain, and the the at this stage, the entrapped mind suffers so much. Yeah. Then the last stage is the stage of stabilization. This is the stage where you you, you instead of seeking to regain what you've lost or what you think you've lost, or instead of you know aiming to you know get back what you think you left you are you seek to retain values you seek to establish goals you, you seek to to create things that will help you to alleviate the the pain that is associated with the loss this is the stage where mr deep is in now mr deep while even though he lives in the us he he is at the last stage of cognitive immobility his mind has suffered a lot and now he's making efforts not to reclaim or re-experience those things he, he he used to you know feel he lost or he need to get back now he's trying to you know solve he's trying to create values that's that's why he said uh, i i'm creating a sustainable community that was why he said i have started to work on creating a sustainable community there in india so now he is trying to create something in india while he's living in america so he's creating values that will help him to alleviate the loss so uh, that's uh, uh uh the last stage of cognitive immobility so what causes immobil uh, cognitive immobility cognitive immobility are caused by externally oriented mechanisms that are out of our cognitive control such mechanisms could be pleasant <clears throat> excuse me, or unpleasant memories of people, incidents, culture, things, and places. So uh, when, when, when we say that somebody's mind is trapped somewhere or is trapped in a place, it doesn't mean that uh, the entrapment is caused by that location, but it is caused by the life experiences that we are wrapped up in that location. But so you cannot eliminate the location from the, the the experience because the location created the, the location was the stage on which the life experiences were wrapped uh, wrapped up in so when 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 we say that uh, things cause cognitive uh, immobility it means it's not just about the place it's about the experiences as well like people how you how you go about remembering things you had with people and stuff like that so uh, whenever uh, uh, you continue you continually remember past episodes be it favorable or unfavorable favorable or pleasant things it could lead to cognitive immobility some people can find like in the last discussion i had <coughs> excuse me uh, the last talk i had uh, with with a group they said oh but as a i i when i when i re-experience things i i did in the past or when i re-experience me eating uh uh, uh, baguette in Paris or in France, it was really uh, pleasant for me. It was like a defense mechanism for me. I, I, and I told him, yes, recreating pleasant memories as a, can be a defense mechanism. And it can be like a sucker to alleviate the, your cur the current situation, which may, be, which may not be as pleasant as the previous one. Doing this at the initial stage could seem nice and helpful, but 
it will create a trap which will hold that person to become entrapped in the past, causing thereby causing cognitive immobility to creep into the life of such a person. So I answered this when some people ask me, oh, can somebody get cognitive immobility uh, through uh, pleasant memories? Must it be uh, sad memories or trauma? I said, yes, through pleasant memories, you can get cognitive immobility. When you, when you continually go back to, you know, recreate uh, the scenes, the sounds, the smells and the stuff that you did in the past, it will be a trap. It can entrap you. So when you are entrapped, you, 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 you reach the state where you unconsciously be doing it. When you are doing it unconsciously, you are then uh, mentally entrapped in that location. And it will start with stress. It will lead to anger, loss. It will lead to pain, then depression, and maybe psychosis. So, but, and again, recreating a, an unpleasant memory from the onset sets in unfavorable emotions and could entrap such a person as well and lead to uh, cognitive immobility. So the the last slide, please. Remedies. So um, remedies uh, uh, regarding remedies. This project is still an ongoing project. We've not really done uh, um, um, research regarding memory uh, remedies for cognitive immobility. These are is part of the things that we're still doing. But for now. The, these are the suggestions that I can give regarding cognitive immobility. So creating and sustaining four important things in our lives can help alleviate the pain that, that are associated with cognitive immobility. The number one is craft. Craft could be our profession, our volunteer services, uh, the stuff we do, the things that put, uh, pay our bills. So when you, when a craft, with a craft, a craft takes you away from focusing on the past and you rely on the present because if you want to pay your bills you'll be doing your job you'll be so busy and you may not have time to think about where you, you think your mind is then the second one is community having a community which could be friends family and acquaintances will bring forth new memories and engagement which could help to alleviate the pain associated with loss which someone uh, uh you know feel about some place or some things or some people. Then the, the third one is having time for contemplation. <clears throat> uh, med uh, meditation is a very important tool for mental health. So having time for medication will help someone focus on his or her cognition and emotions while uh, the person is uh, making deliberate effort to be happy. Then the last one is good health. Good health could provide you the good mind and body to live in. But a practical, something that someone can practically, practical, can someone, something that someone can do now, which could be a very good step towards alleviating loss or pain that is associated with cognitive immobility is daily journaling. Daily journaling is a practical way which could help anyone who is expressing cognitive immobility to, to get help. No problem is new on earth. Journaling has been used over a thousand years by people like Seneca, Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, and others to reconcile their past, present, and future. What you've written down is practically enclosed in the paper and not in your mind. So it helps us to take away 
the things that we are carrying up, you know, and leave them in, in the paper. So let me stop here uh, for us to have the question and answer session. Thank you so much, Zenwa, for this wonderful presentation and for these, um, you know, interview examples. It's uh, really striking, especially for me, uh, you know, my family, we we're originally from Portugal, but we, I grew up in Germany because my uh, mother moved there. And, you know, this, um, and now I live in the U.S. and this, uh, being trapped in another country has been a constant in my life since I'm a small child uh, because that was very present in our family. Um, so thank you for doing this research and uh, for discussing this here with us today. Um, it's, it's really important. Um, and um, so if anyone has any questions, please uh, raise your hand or um, uh, post maybe comments or questions in the chat if you would like. Um, and um, yeah, we'll go from there. Uh, Joyce, Frank, do you have questions? Please press your microphone. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Isenva, for, uh, for having this um, talk and the discussion with us. Uh, it, it, I find it quite fascinating as a social scientist myself who studied sociology, psychology, political science with a focus on international relations, conflicts and sustainability. So I'm quite fascinated how you um, uh, reframed this uh, trauma uh, uh, into into this and I'm, I'm still looking through the paper that you attached after the after the first five slides so I will definitely have a proper read after this but I have a, one question that came really to my mind is I mean you're talking about mobility and immobility and uh, so I mean we are we are on a social audio platform we are on the internet and uh, mobile internet has has really in in terms of speed was uh, much more uh, accelerated the, uh, uh, with it with its spread than just the the uh, internet before the the mobile thing. How do you um, how do you relate uh, social media or the internet, mobile internet, access to mobile internet to uh, this concept of uh, and I find it a fascinating term to this uh, mental entrapment. How, how do you relate these to uh, to each other? Um, well, um, social media, like we know, it, it has got its good side and bad sides. Uh, I read one paper that calls social media the, oh, I can't remember what exactly how to put it. It said, uh, okay, um, this cognitive immobility, um, I don't know how to explain it, but what I know is that um, using social media, we can you can you know alleviate, you know you can kind of uh, um, reduce the the connection the connectedness between you and your your maybe someone on the other side of the planet or someone on the other side of the 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 the, the connection. So, but 
regarding cognitive immobility, it has to do with mental entrapment. So you, 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 if you are not entrapped somewhere, you may not have you know, this feeling of loss. So even when you're entrapped, social media may not really help you to uh, alleviate the loss. Homesickness, regarding homesickness, you, know, you can use social media to reduce the longing for a place. But you cannot use uh, social media to alleviate the entrapment that you're experiencing about a place. You can you, you can alleviate the loss by going there, by visiting the place. You can alleviate it a little bit of by uh, when you go. That's uh, second stage. But to alleviate the loss associated with cognitive immobility, social media may not offer so much uh, help. Did I get did I, did I answer the question well? Uh, well, <laughs> I would definitely like to talk longer about that. But okay, uh, go ahead. Yeah, or you can or you can ask the question in, in, in you can rephrase the question if you think I didn't understand the question. No, properly. no, 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 no. You, you you definitely spoke to it, but I would rather have a much more detailed discussion on it. But but I've seen Joyce. You you've just flashed your mic. Yeah. Um... A number of things have occurred to me, and it's all very interesting, and I really appreciate your work and your sharing it with us. Um, well, one of the things that occurred to me was, I wonder, you, know, you mentioned, you know, helping to counteract this by maintaining good health and so on. And I was thinking about when people are in a different culture, they may eat very differently, and a lot of the foods really may not agree with them. And, and you know, there's research indicating that, um, you know, you might even have an inflammatory reaction and that inflammation can affect your mental well-being. And um, I'm just wondering how big an influence that might be and also whether, um, whether in a way this might be seen as a subset of a depression and, and whether cognitive behavioral therapy might help if they're aware of the issue, which you are um, really great in bringing out. I'm done. Okay, thank you for the question. If we go deep down a little bit with uh, the the fourth uh, remedy that we suggested, good health, there are a lot of things you, which you can do under this uh, uh, under the pathway of good health. The most among the most important things you can do is simply jogging or having a walk. Food regarding food, you it can be. Regarding food, you it is your 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 choice on what you can eat or not. So it's all boils down to you having the mindset that you want to be healthy. If you have the mindset that you want to be healthy, you may not want to eat junk food. So if there are no places for you to buy good ones, you create that good one that you think you need. Yeah, but for good health, to maintain good health, you need to jog, you need to walk, you need to ensure that you you avoid things that may, you know, endanger your health. So that's what I would suggest under this, uh, under health uh, and social well-being. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> I, um, I just wanted to comment, I agree when, um 
when my mother, when we moved to Germany, food back then, when we moved, was still very different, and the variety you could buy was, you know, and like <laughs> what Portuguese usually ate was not too much available. So uh, it's a big, yeah, it's a big um, difference to now. Nowadays, I think in many places you can buy almost anything, like almost anything um, from, from all kinds of countries. So I think nowadays is a lot easier to adapt. Um, would you um, think that maybe planning for a future um, in that country is really important? Because I feel like a lot of immigrants that come from beautiful countries, let's say, where they had like a tight family and so on. Usually the mindset is I'll stay here for a few years and make some money and then I'll go back. But that's really usually it's not what will actually happen. So do you think that that mindset of just staying here for a few years is, a, is problematic too? Yes. Um, I have been asked this question several times as well. Most uh, immigrants, okay, let me give you a story. There was um, um, an email someone sent to me. Um, the person said, a psychologist said that um, um, an elderly man was sent to a care home by, the fam by, by his family. So uh, uh, at some point, it happened in the UK, at some point, they, they, if the family, if they go to visit the man at the care home, the man will be telling them, I want to go home, I want to go home, I want to go home. The man originally came from uh, Greece. I want to go home, I want to go home. So the family members felt he was being maltreated at the care home. So they took this man back to his home. So when they got back to the home, his home in England, the man kept saying, I want to go home, I want to go home. So they had to call someone, a psychologist to, you know, uh, look into the issue and know exactly what the problem is all about. So when the, the psychologist was the one that then contacted him and said, "Yes, after you know, you know, you know, uh, going through the the man's file and checking on him and everything, he discovered that to the man, his home or where he think home is is in Greece, not in England. So he came to England with his wife. They had their children here. The while here they were still planning of going back to Greece. But at this stage now, he's old, almost 90 years. He felt, oh, I see, and I have I have to finally go go back to that home. He has got dementia. He wants to finally go back to that home. But now there is no home in Greece for him. There is no home there because you know life didn't wait for him in Greece. Now in England he thinks, oh here I'm not here is not my home. So the man is homeless. That's metaphorical homelessness. So the man is homeless. So regarding uh, 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 people or uh, new arrivals, because I don't like to use that word, migrants, people arriving a country, uh, uh, regarding people who are arriving in a new country, it is very, very vital to expose them, to educate them regarding the three stages of cognitive immobility. I'm doing a project now with uh, a, an organization in Singapore 
they, they handle refugees and stuff. So we're preparing, we're preparing something that we're going to use to do seminars for, for, for refugees to, to, you know, kind of make them to be aware of this, that you, can, you can't just start planning, oh, I'll be going back to Kenya in the next 10 years after any amount of money. At the end of the day, you wouldn't do that. By then, you'll be, by then, while you're working, we are working, planning of going back, you were constantly thinking about going back. You became entrapped about going back. At the end of the day, you do not go back. Now, that place is not home for you. Kenya is no longer home for you. So it is very, very, very vital. I want to, you know, kind of present something to the home of for us to create a, a kind of a program where we can be able to educate new, 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 new people arriving so that they will be aware of options available to them. Either you make home from the onset or you do not make home from the onset. But if you really want to be happy without being confused at the end of the day, you need to make a deliberate and conscious decision about your life and how you want it to be. Yeah, thank you for that answer. And I know I'm, I'm getting to you next. It's just, I would like to follow up. Um, so I think that's very important, but it's not really how usually visa systems in different countries work. And I think that's kind of also, that's not the only problem, but kind of partially because usually when you migrate somewhere, like when I went, you know, as a small kid, I went to Germany. For my mother was the same thing. Portugal was, when she moved, was not part of the EU yet. So we were on a temporary visa in the beginning. And when I came to the US here first as a PhD student, I was on a temporary visa. And if you may be a refugee uh, for various reasons, you are on a refugee type of visa. So they are all temporary and the embassy where you want to go or the place, the visa place you want to go, they tell you this is just temporary, you need to have established address in your home country in order to get this visa. So is that also part of the problem? And do we need to, because it's not realistic, right? It starts with a temporary visa, but people, people make their lives in that country and they get jobs and they get children and education. And then they, most of the time, I would say they stay should visa programs change in that mindset too to a more realistic one to help people integrate also more in that country and culture doesn't the problem that sometimes comes from not integrating like not learning the language maybe for the spouse let's say you know a lot of um uh, women that i met that came with the spouse don't learn the language in the first years because they think they're going back. Like, should that whole mindset and those visa programs change also? Yeah, you, you spoke about two, th two things, visa temporality and, uh, and uh, issues regarding immigration. Regarding uh, uh, this idea of temporary visa for new arrivals, yes, it creates uh, this, this mindset of you not you know, having to plan, having a, you not having a long-term plan with your life is really a problem in uh, among uh, refugees. There are a lot of literature uh, regarding this. It's a problem among 
uh, a lot of refugees in Europe and a lot of places. So it's an, an issue which we which could lead to cognitive immobility because at the end of the day, you where you are, you are not making it a home for yourself because you are not sure if your visa will be renewed the next time you go to renew your visa. And already, if you didn't flee because of conflict, maybe you fled because of other reasons. Previous home, you do not wish previous home to be home again. So at the end of the day, you, you've lost the other home and there is no you know, long-term plan of you having a home here also. Then uh, uh, the issue of integration, spouse not uh, integrating and, uh, you know, there are a lot of people in the UK here, they live in uh, communities where mainly the people from their social groups live. They've spent like 20, 30, 20 odd years in the UK, they do not speak English. So this is a problem that has to do with integration. This is, this is one of the uh, uh, issues related to cognitive immobility. Because of cognitive immobility, because you think, oh, I will be going next week or next two weeks or next year, next five years. I don't know. It's of no use uh, learning the language. You will not be able to learn language. The language you will not be able to integrate. When you do, you do not integrate, you mix mainly with people from your social group. When you mix mainly with people from your social group, you may end up living your whole life in a country, believing that you'll be going back to the place you left and at the end of the day you won't go back there so you've lived your life not having a home as well so that's why that's what cognitive immobility is helping us to understand that issues that relates to integration is about is about how the government you know how people not government how the people you know make their plans and how their plans do not work out the way they plan it. So integrate, integrating a site, if you want to integrate in a site, you need to make sure that you're creating a home, but you, the previous home, you may not want to call it a home again. You may try to make a deliberate effort, conscious effort to create the, that new home here and let the other one be maybe something else which you may not call home. Yeah, thank you. I think it's also a very scary thing to do. I mean, based on my family's, you know, my families live all over the world. Like, but the only part of my family that still lives in Portugal is my grandmother and my one uncle. You know, the rest they live all over the world. Um, the thing is also, I feel like. The pressure from the family that is still there or the the culture that is still home you kind of don't you have that feeling of being unfaithful to your home country if you integrate <laughs> well <laughs> i feel like that's something also <laughs> yeah okay um, um uh, okay yeah, sorry if you want to no no go ahead I don't know what to say about, you know, being unfaithful to your home. <laughs> so you're in a relationship with your home. So yeah, maybe when you left, possible. when you abandoned, you, you, well, first of all, let me say you are abandoned Portugal by, you know, uprooting yourself from Portugal to go to another place physically. But maybe when you were living, your mind was still in Portugal. So are you sure you left Portugal with your, 
you know, with your whole, with your mind and body. So that's what cognitive immobility is all about. He's saying, he's saying that most people they leave a particular place, maybe where they visited or where they used to call home, they will live physically, but their mind is still there. So I don't know how you can reconcile this for real because without making a deliberate, conscious, a deliberate and conscious effort at creating a new home when you leave a place. So when you create a new home, you, you kind of <clears throat> try to, you know, alleviate, you, you, when, you create, when you make effort to create a new home, you're on the third stage, which is creating values, which is not trying to reclaim, you know, what you used to have in Portugal, but to make the, the, make your America, your own Portugal, you know, have community of people from, you know, you know, Lisboa in the area you communicate with the people from Lisboa in the area you live, making sure that there is, you join the, <coughs> the Lisboa, uh, uh, um, uh, community within that location, uh, you know, integrating in the, the things, the cultural things they do in, uh, in, in that, your area. At the end of the day, that will be your, your Lisboa in USA. You get what I mean? Yes, yes, I know. Um, yeah, you're you're exactly right. It's just so interesting. That's why I, you know, I thought. Are you from Lisboa? So I'm from Porto. Okay, Porto. Um, I used to live in Lisboa. Oh, nice. Yeah. Did you like it? A very yeah. lovely place. Yeah, it is. But Porto is better. <laughs> it's rival. rival I know. <laughs> Okay, um, Einar, uh, thank you for coming here and uh, welcome to the stage. Please ask your question. Yeah, hi, thank you very much. Uh, don't have a question. Uh, just want to say that Joyce's question was a bit racist to me uh, or maybe racially conscious, which is not okay at all. So please pronounce yourself correct, Joyce. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I didn't. Um, I didn't realize that or catch that at all. Um, so, but um, in general, we we are welcoming questions um, of all kinds, and then we can answer. You know, our guest speaker can answer however he feels is appropriate. So, but yeah. Uh, thanks for expressing what you felt. Um, Joyce, Frank, I know, Frank, you had more questions. Would you like to ask another question? Well, I, th I think there could be a long discussion about this concept. I, I, I'm just reminded uh, of, of, of uh, my own experience um, that is kind of a little bit in uh, uh, the opposite direction we're talking here, but still fits the, the frame. And that is, you know, I'm, I'm born in, in Berlin, East Berlin and, and grown up in uh, this city, uh, quite poor. And um, after the reunification of, of Germany, I, uh, we couldn't uh, afford 
uh, lots of travel. So uh, I didn't move around a lot, and actually I didn't. I did just one uh, trip outside of Europe. So, uh, but uh, with this immobility, on the other hand. Um, I I could uh, immerse myself in in the uh, development of this fantastic city of Berlin, which uh, of course uh, uh, was um, gaining a lot of uh, interest because of the of the history. And so the world, this is literally uh, how I'm how I'm telling this other people how I came to experience certain things. So while being uh, immobile, I uh, uh, in in your framework here was uh, cognitive mobile to the the changes the transformation the cultural transformation of the whole Eastern European uh, sphere and this uh, Eastern German sphere and, and uh, Berlin in, 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 in specific. So I, I, I just um, f uh, found that uh, this uh, experience uh, can be expressed through your, through your uh, framework and I found that interesting. So just as an addition here, I don't think right now I, I have... Um, I have a concrete, specific question, but um, but but I really liked what you presented here, and um, I think I'll send the paper around a bit. Okay, thank, thank you, you so much. Frank. Thank you, Frank. Frank, can I ask you a question? Uh, well, of course, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, you you know, you know you you talked about uh, mobility and immobility, so I thought you wanted to go to a certain angle. So, but you went a little bit to that angle. So let me kind of you know lead you further on that angle. When you said about you not having money when you were a little bit, when you were little, you didn't have much money to travel around. Well, in the first 10 years, yes, yes. in the GDR, yeah. in, in the first 10 years in, in the GDR, we, we moved around in the GDR quite a lot, yeah. actually, because it was cheap. Yeah. And then after reunification, yeah. after 1990, it became uh, expensive. Yeah. And that is when that type of mobility uh, uh, went down. So now, so, so now uh, my question is, when the mobility went down, did you have this urge of, of still making that mobility happen? If I if I wanted to make this mobility, yes, definitely. Okay. I had the ache. So just just as you described it earlier. Okay, but I, I can bet you that you, you did something else, which uh, some other scholars in 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 our in our in our field uh, have conceptualized. I'm sure you did it. They call it cognitive migration. I'm sure you did it because of what you just said now. So cognitive migration is about the mind moving even without the body going. So you want to travel to New York while at the airport waiting for your flight, you're already in New York. So you take bits and pieces of New York you read from, from newspaper, from magazine, from film movies, and you picture yourself you know, moving in the streets of New York and stuff. Did you experience that? Um, what I, what I can say, what I can speak to your question is that the 40 years of separation for the East Germans, they have definitely done that. So there were loads of 
stories written um, in in a a very specific way where they definitely in the masses. So this this ache for moving somewhere was so great that I think that um, despite all the developments on the Soviet Union side that fell apart with Glasnost and Perestroika, that uh, the path for the inner uh, uh, for the inner political system to to deteriorate in, in in Eastern Germany that was definitely this ache and this the these minds moving into places that they couldn't visit there's definitely this part where I would say this is a political dimension and we're talking about you know we have this in common the the, the relation to the international relations yeah. here so this 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 this, this uh, aching this this want the 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 this desperate want to uh, visit the places that you know that are there that are great mm-hmm. and that you kind of have literature about whatever so this mobility of the mind yeah. uh, uh, definitely brought brought down to a certain extent and it has definitely uh, uh, an, an an influence on on how that uh, how that changed and I'm really great that uh, that, that Sean uh, came up uh, to, uh, with us here. Yeah. So uh, did yeah. I answer your yes, question? You did, yeah, you did very well. Thank you so much. So Sean, my friend, uh, gr- great to have you up here. Uh, uh, do you have any anything for us? I do. I had, and you didn't speak to this, but I wonder. I love the idea of uh, cognitive migration and cognitive mobility as part of if I'm a new arrival in a place and I'm getting adjusted and I'm making that deliberate conscious choice to do my best to remake a home visa issues notwithstanding I'm wondering in the the good health component of this if you've looked at like social interactions and um, kind of friend groups I'm imagining that that would play an important part in, at least for me, my sense of home is, sorry, use a cliche, where where my heart is in a sense. And I'm I'm wondering, I'm wondering what, if anything, you've seen or um, came up about personal interpersonal relationships in this phenomenon. Yeah, that's the second the second component of the remedies, the community. That's where the family, the friends and acquaintances exchange psychosocial support. That's the second aspect of it. It relates to good health as well, but it's, it's a different component from the from good health component. It's very Got vital it. as well. Yeah. Got it. Okay, I didn't hear that part. Thank you. Okay. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, we are almost, the hour is almost up, so, um, or is up now. I realize. Um, Brahma, you have a question. I invited you to speak. Let me know if it works. Yeah. Do you want to have one of our last questions? Thank you. Yeah, very itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny little question. Uh, I was very privileged. I managed to travel a lot in my youth. I've lived with my parents in uh, two countries, but I traveled and worked in 14 countries wow. in five continents. And um, I, I'm just uh, spellbound by your story and I'm, I need to ponder upon what it means. But uh, to, to me, I've lost friends uh, because I was away for 10 years from the Netherlands where I'm currently back. Um, and this state of constant flux, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've read Edward Said. Yes, of course. About yeah. uh, what is the mindset. Yeah, of course, yeah. I, I understand that. But it feels painful, you know, I... I uh, um, so when major events happen in your life, um, let's say I've been through a bad week uh, and I would really like to see my friends, but 
because I was away for 10 years, there is some sort of a cognitive dissonance. Um, yeah, they're just not there like they were before. So uh, even if you travel a lot, you carry around your soul in your backpack. And, uh, and I guess you've moved uh, and you feel the longing for where you're from. Um, yeah, but it's the same if you travel a lot, I guess, and you're, and you're hopping around. I don't know if it's a question really. So how does it work with friends back back where you're from? I think that's, that's my question is. Brahma, can you, can, you, can you rephrase your question, please? You said a lot of things. Yeah, the, the, I, I, I wanted to actually, I wanted to, you know, say a lot of things to you again, but rephrase your question so that I know specifically. Yeah, so so my, my soul is with my friends, okay? Yes. And uh, the question is if you are elsewhere and you're not where you're from. Yeah. Um, uh, and then that transition up and down. Is it, how do you stay close to your friends? We were talking about social social media before, but okay, um, it's better to, to eat the, the meal together. I guess that's what it is. Yeah, your question is not really precise, but I know I will see if I can, you know, you know, say one or two things that can, you know, make meaning. Maybe they will be meaningful to you. So, first of all, is you can be cognitively mobilized in multiple places at the same time. So like you, you said you've been to 14, you've lived or worked in 14 countries. Probably you, you may have dropped one or two things in some of them. So I know you, you may have friends all over the place as well. And it's difficult for you now to you know remain, even though we live in a mobile world, it's difficult for you to remain in constant communication with them. I'm sure you are experiencing that like so many other people. And also you long to have more time and to be able to communicate with them as well. So cognitive immobility is, the more you try to, you know, relate to all these people at the same time, the more you try to, you know, grab back, you know, old times with them, uh, you know, know what's happening, uh, what's going on, as long as they're not within your, your reach, within your community where you are now, you are, you're kind of entrapping yourself the more. Thank you. Yeah, I have another question. I have something else for you, uh, Mr. Brahama. Is it possible for for us to you know talk about your experiences uh, maybe uh, later or not today? Maybe in the near future. Is it okay? Absolutely. I like Please. to share. I like to storytell. So you're if welcome. You can, if you can leave your e email address with uh, Professor Katarina, that would be very wonderful. No problem. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Um, I don't know if you have a couple of minutes more. Victoria arrived. I'm not sure. Victoria, do you have a question? Uh, welcome. Oh, thank you, Katarina. Hello. I'm. I have so many, and I just got here. I, I'm just on a break between work, so I'll have to listen to the replays. I was. I was reading your paper, and it's. It's. Um, it's just so meaningful. So I can't wait. Maybe I'll have to contact you. That's fine. And, uh, yeah, I, I thank would you love for to hear from you as well. Yeah, you know, you read it, you read a um, title, and then it just resonates so much. And and I really appreciate that that you've done this focused work here. So thank you. Thank you so much. I agree. I think this is a really helpful and fascinating framing. How you've approached this problem is is inspirational and very um, thought provoking for a lot of people here, myself included. So thanks for coming. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. I really agree. Your paper is about basically my family. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not unfair. You're not unfair for today, please. 
the thing is you need to live your and, life so you need to create you need yes to exactly take yourself like uh, like i hello like yeah. I, I i was speaking with someone the other day i said the, the best thing is if someone can, you, you just take yourself from the first stage to the last stage of cognitive immobility so that you won't have any issue so take create home where you are now rather than trying to create home all over the place it will confuse you and create a lot of you know mental entrapment for you get the point yeah thank you mm. i wish i read you know i wish you somebody has done your work like when you know my family first started moving but it's, it's okay <laughs> but this is wonderful and it's uh, such important work i think especially for the future i think we will all move around way more due to finding jobs climate change it will affect all of us i think at some point yeah. so this is really important work and thank you for doing this um we really appreciate it and thank you especially for coming here today thank you for sharing your time me. and your knowledge yeah thank you for inviting me feel free to invite me any other time please yes i will i will definitely invite you again this was yeah um, i would like to use this opportunity to to tell uh, your members that if they're interested in having uh, you know updates on this research you know you know having in you know, a bits about the research and stuff about the research they can join in a newsletter on cognitiveimmobility.com or they can email me and i will enlist them into the newsletter once in every month we're not going to spam you it's just once in every month we'll send something about cognitive immobility to you just once in every month yes thank you i posted um, the link online so um yeah uh, i will definitely be part of it and uh, yeah feel free everyone to share this with if you know families that migrated and still feel entrapped in the past <laughs> this is really helpful um uh, yeah can i just throw out yeah. one more one last thought i don't I, I missed some of it so i don't know if anyone mentioned it but i wondered if you've ever thought about in places where there has been a very rapid change in a particular community due to same some kind of modernization whether some people would suffer from that without having even moved Gent you're talking anyway, about I'm gentrification done. could be could be lots of different things yeah 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 that's what you're talking about gentrification yes if there's gentrification in a particular place the people who move out from that place can be entrapped in the the area they used to live in. That's cognitive immobility. Okay, let me come again. Finally, let me just wrap it up. Cognitive yeah. immobility yes. is not just about uh, migration. It's about life experiences. So, for example, if you're in a marriage, or if you're in a relationship, or if you've lost someone, or if you if you if you grieving trauma, if you're grieving or if you're having trauma, you you can be experiencing cognitive immobility. It's not just about migration. So that's just to wrap it up. I have pasted, posted, um, pasted, posted your link to your website in the room chat. Okay. Yeah, thank you. I this is, um, yeah, I think this is such an important work and um, 
it will be really interesting to learn more in the future what your ongoing research okay. will um, will will show us. So um, yeah, we'll invite you back and. Uh, Thanks for sharing this and making those newsletters. Thank you. Can I, and, can I leave uh, now? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Enjoy the evening. Thank you. And thanks everyone for coming, uh, sharing comments, asking questions. Uh, I think uh, this was, yeah, personally, <laughs> this was a really important uh, room for me. And um, yeah, uh, feel free to come back, follow the club. We have more um, guest speaker events like this coming up. We have tomorrow at 1 p.m. EST, Dr. Um, Gross and Dr. Fallen talking about a magnificent megabacterium. Um, they found it deep in the ocean and it kind of uh, gives us hint about, um, you know, how more complex life started uh, back in time. And then we'll have Wednesday, at 9 p.m. EST, Dr. Liu talking about um, new uh, genetic research. Um, it's kind of a history time that um, unravels who were the earliest seafarers and discoverers around the world. So uh, that will be really interesting. And then on Thursday, we'll have Dr. Rich Gu. He will talk about artificial microtubules to transport cargoes. Um, so it's kind of tiny nano robots that can transport stuff. And um, then on Friday we'll have uh, quantum um, quantum physics slash consciousness room about um, how the consciousness quantum um, theories how they collapse basically how it it's actually the new um, the new real um, practical um, experiments they did in his group, um, how they kind of contradict the quantum consciousness um, theories by Penrose and so on. So it will be really interesting to learn about his new experiment results uh, in quantum physics, uh, basic quantum physics research, and then uh, putting it into context into the quantum consciousness theory so it's kind of um, if you're into that uh, I'm really looking forward for that one we had a lot of discussions here in science society about that and um, yeah um, so will be another great week I uh, hope to hear you all back soon and thank you for coming <laughs> I'll close the room in three two one bye everyone